Lord, thank you for his, his friendship and his partnership in the gospel in this city. Lord, I bless this man. Lord, everything that he's putting his hands to in this season. And I pray, Father, for us tonight, as we hear this perhaps familiar story to many, but with fresh revelation, fresh understanding, and most importantly, that that the eyes of our hearts would be open to hear what it is you want to say to us tonight, Father. You are the good, good Father. And Lord, we, your kids, your children, need to hear fresh grace, fresh truth from heaven. So, Father, stir us, challenge us, inspire us tonight, and bless and as he gives out to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. <laughs> it's good to um, it's good to be here, and uh, thank you to uh, to Tim and to uh, the whole team for, for inviting me, and thank you for making me feel uh, really welcome. Uh, what do you need to know ab- about me? Um, well, as, as uh, Tim said, I'm a Baptist minister. I never know whether that is the worst thing to introduce myself as, or whether being a Tottenham fan is equally or better than that. The most important thing uh, that you need to know about me is that I'm married to Bex, and my son, our son Leo, is turning four in uh, July. And uh, as I was thinking about, you know, what, what, what to talk about today, Father's Day, uh, what passage uh, was God laying on my heart to, to share with you tonight on Father's Day? There was really only one passage that jumped uh, to the center of my heart and into my mind tonight, and that was the passage that's just been read for us from Luke chapter 15, the parable of, uh, the Bible's put it, the parable of the prodigal son. Many people will know it as the parable of the running father. And uh, that's the parable that I want to talk about tonight. Um, But first, let me share with you uh, a story. Um, A story about when I was traveling around Thailand many years ago. And uh, I had the opportunity to go parasailing. Does anyone know what parasailing is? For those of you who don't know what parasailing is, parasailing is where you um, put a parachute on your back and you tie a rope to it and you tie the other end of the rope to a speedboat and the speedboat shoots off into the distance and you are pulled uh, majestically high into the air and you can enjoy all the, the views and the sights uh, of a beautiful place like Thailand and the wonderful beaches down in, in Phuket. Um, I am scared of heights. And I was encouraged by a friend who I was uh, traveling with at the time to try this out to to conquer my fear of heights. And I was sold on this experience being a wonderful, uh, beautiful, serene, you know, picture that, that verse in the Bible where it says, you will soar on wings like eagles. This is the, the way that this was sold to me. And I didn't really want to do it, if I'm honest, uh, but uh, I didn't want to lose face. 
And so the guy came and was explaining to me everything that I needed to do. And uh, that, that this gear would be put on me, it would be time on the boat, and to keep your eyes on the boat. And when the boat starts moving, you need to start running down the beach, and then you kind of feel the, uh, the rope go tight, and you pull up on the harness, and it kind of pulls you up into the air. <laughs> so I was still trying to remember all of this stuff, and... Uh, talking to my friend and and uh, they were telling me you know soar on wings like eagles uh wonderful experience beautiful views da 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 whilst we were talking the boat started to move which was lost on me because i was repeating in my head this mantra about what i needed to do ironically to enjoy this experience the first that I became aware that the boat had started moving was when I was unceremonially pulled down the beach, off my feet, straight through the sand. Uh, I hit the water, which was a merciful release from the sand, scattering families left and right, pulled up on the harness, uh, feeling as least like an eagle as you can possibly feel, uh, looking more like one of those sea monsters from those old black and white films, uh, pulling myself up into the air to the point where I looked so bad that the guy on the boat stopped to dunk me into the water and then start again. Uh, it was a great experience, and the views were beautiful. It has done nothing to cure me of my fear of heights, which is a fear I am desperately trying not to pass on to my son. But there are times in life where it feels as though you are pulled off your feet and taken to somewhere where you really don't want to go. I don't know whether any of you have a sense of what I'm talking about. For me, and I just want to give you some background to, to this passage really for, for me from a personal perspective. Um, one of those experiences, and there have been one or two of them that have happened in my life. One of those experiences happened when I was three years old. And when I was three years old, my dad had a stroke at the age of 33, 34, and he passed away uh, a couple of days after having uh, this stroke. And my mum my was left with, with me at the age of three, and my sister at the age of two, and she was 30, uh, a single mum, now a widow, and uh, the first experience that I remember, the first memory I have of uh, fatherhood was not having a father. That's the first memory that I have of fatherhood. When I was at school and the other kids were there, and even the kids that came from um, families where the parents had separated or divorced and their parents lived in different places, and they'd go and see their dads at some point 
uh, at the weekend or during the week or whatever. And I remember thinking, even, even those girls, they get to see their dad. And I don't have uh, a father. I don't have a dad. And that's the first memory that I can think back and, and look on uh, in terms of um, a fatherhood. The second thing, and there are, there are three things in terms of fatherhood that have defined my life. That's the first one, and probably the most um, impacting in terms of uh, a shock to the system and growing up uh, in that way in our family life. My mum remarried when I was seven, and she married a, a wonderful guy, uh, Brian, who is in, in all ways bar the biology my dad. And he, uh, he embarrasses me all the time uh, at every opportunity. He was the best man at my wedding and uh, did not miss the opportunity uh, in his best man speech to pull out my old teddy bear from when I was growing up and uh, to embarrass me in, in lots of different ways. From when we were kids, he used to run down the street with two French sticks pretending they were machine guns and things that you probably couldn't do now uh, in this current climate. But uh, he, he has parented me, has fathered me in a wonderful way, in a way that lets me see uh, the heart of God. When the Bible talks about how we're adopted, how we're brought into the family of God, then it is through him and the way that he has uh, parented me that I see most clearly that heart of God and the third thing the 1st of July 2015 it was seven months after we moved here to Bath uh, my wife Bex gave birth to our son Leo 1.21 in the afternoon on the hottest day of the year <laughs> bless her and uh, they had these industrial fans in the corridors of the hospital because it was so hot. And I remember in the delivery um, suite in, uh, in the, the RUH, the first time the nurse uh, handed my son to me. And she said, um, take charge of your son, which I've been trying to do for four years. <laughs> And I'm still learning how to do. But I remember holding him in my, in my, in my arms. And I, we didn't even know at that moment what we were going to call him. We had several names, three names. And we decided we were going to wait until we saw him to know. Because we didn't know whether we were having a boy or a girl. Um, what we were going to call him. And it was later that you know, Leo was the name that, that stuck. But I remember holding him and knowing in that moment that, that nothing in my life was going to be the same ever again. That I knew in that moment, this little thing, <laughs> this little boy, that I'd never met or seen or held would have a power over me that I would love him more than I would love anything else and I knew in that moment that there was nothing that I wouldn't do for him that I would even in that moment have laid down my life 
for him. And not a day has passed in these almost four years. Uh, And there have been times where he has annoyed the the living daylights out of me, where he's not slept, where we've been tired and grumpy, where I've been cross with him, where perhaps I shouldn't have been. But not a day has passed where I haven't felt that love for him. And so these three things, these three impacting moments, these kind of earthquake moments in in my life inform this passage and how I read this passage because we don't come to the Bible cold. Thank God. We don't come to the Bible cold. We come with the weight of the experience and the life that we live and we come as we are and these words that are written down that God breathes his life by his spirit through. Uh, we, we read these words, but we, we play with these words. This is wonderful uh, Jewish concept of, uh, of the words aren't just the, the black words on the white paper, but there's the space between the words. And that space between the words is the place where we, we dance and play and explore what God has written what God is saying to us. And so this passage, well known to us, one of the the more well-known stories, um, it shows us what kind of father. Because we've sung about God as a father. And some of us may may have good experiences of fathers. Some of us may have difficult or painful experiences of fathers. But we talk about God as a father, and the question, of course, is, well, what kind of father is God? And my dad, uh, Brian, my dad, uh, as I said, he he embarrassed me. I remember the time, I used to, years ago, when I was 10, I used to go diving at the local swimming pool. And uh, I used to have to get up at 5 o'clock every Saturday morning to go down to the pool and to practice, practice, practice. Um, until I became a teenager and I thought I can't be bothered to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and, and stop doing it. But, but in those earlier days, and my dad used to get up every Saturday morning, faithfully take me diving um, at the pool. And occasionally there would be a parents' participation event. Nothing depresses you more as a child than hearing those words. I am looking forward to that. Uh, as a parent, when I get to do those things um, with Leo. Um, my dad, um, <laughs> how do I say this? He is not the most athletically built man. He has, uh, he, he's lost a bit of weight recently and he's done, he's done well, I'm proud of him. But uh, diving when you are not an athletically built man is not... Uh, not a graceful pastime. Uh, and he, he hit that water like a boulder into a pond. But he did it enthusiastically. And it tells me a lot about him as a man. Because it tells me that here is a man who is prepared to even look foolish because he wants to spend time with his son. Because he wants to spend time with his son. And, and that, 
what we see in this parable tells us a lot about the kind of father that God is as well. He is a father, I want to say, who respects the choices of his children. Here's the the great line in the parable. I'm sure that that someone has already kind of unpacked this for you in the past. But but, uh, Jesus tells this story of these two sons. And the youngest son, not even the eldest son, the youngest son comes to the father and says, I want the share of my inheritance now. Now, we hear that, and we hear a child asking his parents for money. Shocking. (laughs) But in the time of Jesus, this would have been outrageous. Outrageous. They could not have conceived of this this practice because essentially what the son is saying to his father is I cannot wait for the benefits of your death I can't wait for you to die to get what's coming to me I want it now you might as well be dead to me I want the benefits of that right here right now and the people who who Jesus was speaking to they would have been totally and utterly shocked by what was said and even more shocked by the response of the father because rather than the father uh, disciplining or shaming or giving his son a bit of a slap and sending him on his way the father honors the request of the son the father respects the choice of his son. And you read the story and you think, well, why would the father do something? He must have known the kind of man his son was. He must have known the kind of things that his son might get up to, given that amount of money. And yet he still gives it to him. Why would he do something that he knew was going to mean the son would go off and and do something reckless or do something that was going to harm himself. And to be honest, that's the question we ask, isn't it? When life goes wrong, when bad things happen, we say, why? Why would you let me do it if you knew it was going to be bad for me? Why would you let me go down that road if you knew where it was going to end? Why would you let this happen if you knew that it was going to hurt me? Because the father loves his children. And that love means to honor and respect the choices that you make. And it's the hope and desire. And I tell you what, my son is four. He is a long way from going off and spending his money on wild living and prostitutes and living in a pigsty. Uh, But I uh, am worried about that now. (laughs) You know, and I I hope and I pray that, that that life that he will lead uh, will be free from 
some of the pains that I've experienced in my life or the bad choices that I've made in, in my life. But, but it's his choice and I can't protect him from that. I've got to honor and respect the choices he makes and, and hope and pray he makes good choices. But the son in the parable, notice, never stops being called the son. He never stops being the child of his father. Whatever choices he makes, wherever he ends up, whatever he does, he's always still the son. He's always still the child of his father. The father's love responds in grace. You know, the, he has an epiphany um, in, the, in the pig swill, in the muck. And uh, it's not hard to have an epiphany in the pig swill and the muck. Even my father's servants have a better life than this. Maybe I could go back and, and say, you know, maybe I could work for you. Hire me as a servant and at least then, you know, I'll have a better life than this. And the father, we're told in the story, is watching out for his son. Is waiting and watching out for his son. And the father does something which is equally as shocking as the son's choice to ask for the money, the father runs. Now men in the Middle East at the time of Jesus did not run. It was an undignified thing to do. If you were the head of a family, you certainly did not run. It was an undignified thing to do. So here is a father who has been shamed, hurt, abandoned by his son, who still chooses to not count the cost of his dignity and to run towards his son, who he's looking out for. The father runs towards his son, he throws his arms around him. He kisses him. And that's grace. We don't understand it. At times, it offends our sensibilities. We don't often think it's fair. But it is that constant way that God meets us time and time again. Even when we've wandered far away, even when we come back feeling, I'm not good enough. You know, I spoke to a lady recently in her late 70s who said, I've got these awful issues with self-worth. I just don't feel that I've got anything to offer. I don't feel that I'm good at anything. I don't feel I've got any value. She said, when I was a child, I was told, well, you're not pretty, so you better be useful. And I don't feel useful. 
and so I don't feel like I've got any value. She's in her late 70s and she's struggling to understand how life can carry on when she feels like that. And she says, I don't want money, I don't want riches or wealth, I just want to have peace in my heart that I know that I'm worth something. And the Father meets us time and time again, running, arms outstretched, not counting the cost, to meet us in those places where we feel worthless, where we feel we're not good enough, where we feel we've messed it up. To him, it does not matter. Because he's down the drive before we can even get the first word out of our mouths. Not in judgment or condemnation. We all know that verse, or most of us know that verse. The well-known verse that Jesus speaks. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so as we come to Christ, as we come to the Father, there is no condemnation anymore. The past is gone. So how do we respond then? If this is who our Father is, how do we respond? Well, the, the son, the elder son, who we've not heard of until this moment in the story, the other son, the son who stays behind, his response challenges us about grace. Because, of course, this son comes back, the younger son, and he uh, is welcomed and accepted and there's a big party and there's a feast and he comes in from the fields where he's been working, keeping up the family business and he's going, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And the news is broken, your brother has come home and he is not happy. And he says to the father, all these years I have slaved away for you Works for you, been a good son, a faithful worker, and you've not even given me, paraphrase, a scabby goat to party and celebrate with my friends. And then notice his words, this son of yours comes home. This son of yours comes home. And you kill the fatted calf. And the father turns to his son and he says, My son, I love you and everything I have is yours. But it is right that we should celebrate for this brother of yours, your brother, was lost and is found again. 
How do we respond to the grace of God? How do we respond when we see the grace of God in others? Do we rejoice with the rest of the household? Do we struggle like the sun to go, hang on a minute, I wasn't expecting this. This is more than I signed up for. This is more than I bargained for. I don't know whether I agree, Lord, with your, with your choice, with the way that you're handling this situation or this person. Do we fail to see the beauty of God's grace? It's like walking through the park, eyes on the floor complaining about the litter spoiling the beauty and never looking up to see the beauty of the world around you. Will we be struck again by the beauty of God's grace? And then the younger son challenges us in terms of how we view separation. There are times in our lives where it feels as though we're far away from God. I've had those times in my life. And how does God meet us in those places? The son looks around and he realizes that he's in a dark place, a difficult place, a painful place. And his response to that is to run home to his father. And there may be some of us who are here this evening who, you know, we might not be hanging out in pigsties. But there'll be some of us here this evening who look at at yourselves and think, is anybody going to love me for who I am? And if that's you, run home to your father. And there might be some of us here uh, this evening who, who feel that we've been imprisoned by a particular issue. We feel as though all those uh, good deeds that we do are, are just dirty rags that tear and strain to try and cover over all the guilt and the shame that we feel for those things in our lives that we just can't seem to shake. And if that's you, then run home to your father there might be people here this evening who feel that they're walking in darkness whether that's the darkness of bereavement whether that's the uncertainty of health issues or work or big choices that you're making in life at the moment it may feel as though heaven is silent it might be the darkness of depression and I've been in those places I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and to feel like the darkness is going to swallow you whole. And if that's you tonight, run home to your father. If you're hurting this evening, run home 
to your father who loves you. If you're imprisoned this evening, run home to a father that loves you. He is the parent who is waiting with open arms to welcome you. There was a a man I heard about who was doing some work with the street community and came across a a woman who was a prostitute in order to be able to earn money to feed her and her four-year-old daughter. And he invited her to church and she said, why would I go to church? I already feel bad enough about myself. Even though people don't often want to go to church, why is it that those people flocked to Jesus in their hundreds? Why is it that they still flock to Jesus in their millions today? Because with him there are no ultimatums, no conditions, just the promise of life that will be transformed and restored, the promise of a welcome, of a home, the promise, quick, bring a robe, put it on them, put a ring on their finger and sandals on their feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this child of mine was dead and now is alive. Was lost but now is found. So a question for us today, this Father's Day. What kind of child are we? in light of who our heavenly Father is. I'm going to pray and then I'll hand back over to you guys. So, so let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you. And our words never seem to, to feel like enough to thank you for the countless times that you've watched and waited, looking out, longing for us to come home to you. And that you run and you meet us in your son and welcome us home. That you celebrate our return to you. We thank you that nothing we have done is too great that it can be a blot to your grace. That nothing we have done can separate us from your love. We thank you that you see us with immeasurable value. That we are precious, valued, worth even your life itself. And we pray that tonight as, as you know us, you know our hearts, you know everything about us. We pray that as we hold honestly ourselves before you, you would 
keep calling us home to welcome, to wholeness, to healing, to restoration in all the ways that you know we need, body, mind, or spirit. Keep calling us home and give us that courage to pick ourselves up and to make that move homewards. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.